Dear God, we're going to pray that your word will open up to us, that you will teach us with all wisdom and power in the Holy Spirit, that you will guide us through your word, and that, as a result, it will live in each of us. As we ask your word to live in us, we ask that it will also live through and out of us, so that others might receive knowledge of who you are and what you have done, and that you might be glorified in every way. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone. I'm Mark. I am the ABBC Youth Ministry Coordinator. I'm also a father of three. I love dad jokes. I have a poor sense of humour sometimes, and I'm entirely trusting upon the grace of God in my life. Well, that's enough about me. We're going to take a short recap. We're going to dive back into Colossians today. It's been a few months since we did the first few verses. Just in case we've forgotten who or where they were, Colossae is a small town that was living in the shadow of wealthy Laodicea at the time. They were all under Roman rule and the town itself was a hub for philosophers and travellers and Jews as they moved about the region. Today, it's actually mostly buried. It sits in the western part of Turkey. You can go there and you can visit. There is a pretty cool signpost, but that's about all you'll see. A few months ago, though, we looked at Colossians 1, 1 1-6. We discovered Paul's heart for prayer and thanksgiving. We saw his apostleship as something worthy of acknowledgement, and the gift of the love of the Holy Spirit had been given to the church in Colossae, and they were known by it. That's going to continue today, but we're also going to see how God has used Epaphras to bring them the good news and the effect that the gospel had upon their lives. We're going to see the glorious power of God at work in the church and Paul's response to hearing of the Colossian church. In that response, we're going to get an open door, if you like. We're going to peer in and we're going to see what the heart of a Christian leader's prayer life looks like. We're going to discover expected outcomes of prayer and how we might respond to those. Finally, we're going to explore this idea of kingdoms and the richness of being a people who live in the light. Today, we'll also prepare us for the next sermon when we get to fully explore the King, Jesus, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. If you want to take notes, now is a good time to get that pen or paper or device ready. I'm going to encourage you to have Colossians open and to read along where you can and even read ahead if you like. It's not often you'll get told that. Our first note worth recording though, this is what I call a side note of action. I'm going to give you this straight at the start, so it's at the top of your notes. So here it is. Sometime this week, go through and read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Use them in prayer, dwell on them, and soak them in on at least two occasions. That reference again for those that are recording, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. On that, I'm going to follow the Baptist trend of giving you three main points today. So, let me encourage us to work like Epaphras, to pray like Paul, and to be joyous and thankful to God. I'm going to read those again. Let me encourage us to work like Epaphras, to pray like Paul, and to be joyous and thankful to God. Now, it's my assumption these points work best if you're a follower of Christ. If you are not, I hope that you will see at the heart of Paul's writing that he shows us how he treats his fellow workers in mission work. You're going to see what prayer looks like in Paul's life when praying for people, 
that he has never met and you should be able to gain an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Hopefully you'll find a place where you can see yourself in this picture and you're able to act upon it. As we begin to look at what Paul writes in verse 7, we see that he acknowledges Epaphras as the one who shared the good news with them. This is not to give Epaphras a big head or stroke his ego, but to highlight the value that this worker has brought to the kingdom of God. The good news itself has been doing the work. Paul highlights this in verse 6. If you follow along, it says, The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and you understood the truth about wonderful grace. And following in verse 7, it says, You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Epaphras not only shared the good news to those in Colossae, but he travels back to Paul to give him a report on the state of the church. He has made himself available to help Paul and his companions in their work. Epaphras, a beloved co-worker uh, in the NLT, it's translated from the words, and they mean a fellow servant, this is in seven. The term can be paraphrased to get as together slave, or one who serves the same master with another. As Paul trusts Epaphras' report, we can see he's probably more than just a fellow servant or slave. He would have become a friend and a brother in Christ. This should encourage us here at ABBC because when believers live under the Lordship of Christ, they can see their lives are intertwined with each other in service to the Lord. By serving as slaves to Christ, we can see a spiritual mateship results and it transcends just being mates. It forms a special relationship as co-workers and a family that has eternal blessings and results. This is actually a good reminder to be thankful for the church and acknowledge the work that Christ is doing in his church today. As I'm writing this, I thought of ABBC or Dinga Bay Baptist. I'm reminded to thank God for all the good work that he does through each of you, my fellow co-workers and slaves to Christ. So many of you serve by setting up on Sunday. During the serving, you're going to help with communion. You might be planning or running Sunday school, preparing programs, making tea and coffee, cleaning the toilets after the service. You might be leading us in worship or welcoming us at the door. And that is just some of the work that we see. This is not a full list by any means. There's also all the other work that goes unseen. The prayer for each other during the week. The evangelising. The sharing of good news with Christ, with neighbours and friends. There's the work of planning and ministration as well as pastoral care. Being on a prayer team. Participating in or running home groups. Let's not forget the work of being as Christ in the workplace, school and home and being deliberate about how we serve in our local communities. Ordinga Bay Baptist Church, right now, you are painted into the picture of Scripture and I get the privilege to thank God for each and every one of you. Epaphras reported about the love for others the Holy Spirit has given the Colossians. I too can see that same Holy Spirit working today in Ordinga as a church. The acts of love for its community... As I mentioned in point one, we might ask ourselves, how can we work like Epaphras, or the church even, in Colossae? Well, it's a timely reminder not to sit back and rest. 
but to get more excited about where the Holy Spirit will lead us in the future and to ask each other, how can we continue to show God's love as a church to those around us? If for some reason you find yourself not in this picture of serving in the body of Christ, can I encourage you today to think about where you might fit in, how you might serve or who you might serve with? The body of Christ has many parts, but none of them is designed to be disconnected from the body. It's by serving together as a complete body that we can glorify the head of the church, Jesus Christ. We see it takes both Epaphras to go and do the will of the Spirit and Paul to stay and pray on this occasion. Through this joint team attitude, it is God who is glorified by the results in Colossae. In fact, let us see what Paul's response is to hearing about this Colossian church. He says in verse 9, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. His first response is prayer. He knows the spiritual needs of the church are just as great as the physical needs. What does the prayer of apostle, a spiritual leader, appointed by Christ Jesus look like? Well, step one, he prays for the church, that God will give them complete knowledge of his will, that he's going to give them spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is not a pie-in-the-sky, wishful-thinking prayer. He expects results. This result is a very real physical and spiritual outcome. It should be made manifest in the way that they live. It's a prayer that commits the lives to always honour and please the Lord. As a result, their lives will honour and please God and it will produce every good fruit. This good fruit is something you can see. You can even quantify it. In addition to this, because their lives are bearing good fruit, they're going to grow spiritually. They're going to get to know God better and better. I gather some people might like to know at this point, what is this good fruit that they will produce? If you look up Galatians 5, verses 19 to 26, it's Galatians 5, 19 to 26, you can see there is a life there that bears good fruit, both what it is and what it is not. And if in a moment of self-reflection, you see things that are not a good fruit, consider this an opportunity for prayer. It's a chance to reject unfruitful behaviours and a moment to pause and to commit to bearing the good fruit that God wants to live out in you. For those taking notes, I'll give you the passage one more time. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 26. Paul continues in his prayer in verse 11, they will be strengthened with all God's glorious power, that they're going to be filled with joy. Again, this is a tangible result. They will have all the endurance and the patience that they need, always thanking the Father. This has the implication here. They're strengthened and filled with God's power. They get to know the constant joy of salvation in Christ. You'll see as we go on, Paul points out, this power will produce endurance, it will produce patience as they live out their Christian life as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus who live in the light. It's a good reminder to church leaders there is a responsibility to be praying for the church, to pray with the expectation that God will work towards these outcomes. But I do not think that the burden is upon the church leaders alone, just because Paul was a leader and an apostle. I look at what Paul is teaching here 
And I'm convinced that all of us should be praying for each other as a church. We would be asking God that he would give us complete knowledge of his will. That he will give us each spiritual wisdom and understanding. We should be praying that we be strengthened with all of God's glorious power. That we will, each one of us, be filled with joy. If we're committed to praying like this constantly, that every day we pray over Aldinga Bay Baptist, over its leadership, over its people, then I think we can expect that the Holy Spirit will be working to bear good fruit in us, individually and together. I think if we pray like this, the Holy Spirit is going to produce patience and endurance in all of us. And God will increase our knowledge of him in both his will and understanding and wisdom. Thinking about Aldinga, the heart of prayer reminded me of a story that I read. It's about one of Billy Graham's crusade events. And if you're unsure who that is or what he did, he was a preacher, an evangelist. He reached thousands and thousands of people globally with the message of Christ and the good news of salvation. So during this Billy Graham crusade in 1949 in LA, this is a while ago, this big tent held over 6,000 people. It was overflowing every night for eight weeks. Close by, there was a smaller tent. It was set aside for counselling and for prayer. Cliff Barrows, who was a long-time music director, and he was a close friend of Billy's, had often said the real work of the gospel took place in the little tent where people gathered on their knees to pray before and during every evangelistic service. A local LA woman, Pearl Good, was at the heart of those prayer meetings and many that followed. You may never have heard of her before, but just like the biblical figures we read about, she served faithfully in prayer in that little tent. Some people are given the high visibility task of preaching the gospel in the big tent, so to speak. But God has extended to us all, just as he did Epaphras, and as we see here Pearl, the great privilege of kneeling in the little tent and bringing others before the throne of God. Paul says in verse 9, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Why does Paul do this? Because he knows it bears results. He knows that God is working in prayer. Oswald Chambers once said, prayer is not the preparation for the work, it is the work. I'm not sure what your prayer life looks like today, but speaking for myself, my prayer life over the years has been hot and cold. It has had times where I've thrived in prayer. I've had my spare moments um, filled with it, uh, where I doubt, well, not sorry, where I doubt. There have also been times where I doubt that I've said more than two words to God or I've taken any time to listen to what he has to say to me. I've had all the good excuses too. I've had a busy life. I've had books to read. I've had conversations that just had to happen. I've had events to plan or run. I've had places to be and I've had work to do. I've had media to scroll through, waves to catch, sports to play, etc., etc. The list goes on. All the excuses in the world have not helped me in my prayer life. They actually took away from it. What I've come to realise in my life is the same thing that Paul is teaching here. I, and of course we, us, need to be praying deliberately. We need to be paying attention to when each day and for who and expect God to work in it without being demanding or entitled but in humility and servitude to Christ. 
I read something by one commentator. I'm aware you may not know what a commentator is. If someone has studied deeply the book of the Bible, they usually study in the original language. They're going to form comments on the passages they studied. They try to find a valid application of God's word. And they frame these in the context it was written for. So this one commentator had observed what Paul had said. And in response, he had this to say. Pastors are frequently asked, will you pray for me? Such a request can be turned aside easily because other duties seem to absorb the pastor's attention. But a wise pastor never knowingly minimises the importance of praying for his people. Some sensitive pastors keep a prayer book in which they write their people's names and conditions or requests. This helps them to pinpoint the need. Others, unfortunately, habitually and mechanically race through a prayer formula, but not with true intercessory concern. It caused me to think that as much as the pastor can and should pray for the flock under his care, we all have a responsibility to pray for those we know. I know from experience that non-Christians, acquaintances, mates, friends, family and loved ones at different times will ask me to pray for them. And I think this may be true for all of us. Because of this, it is good to know when we approach God on behalf of others, we truly are interceding. That means petitioning, in this case God, through Jesus on their behalf. There is a warning here that the danger is that we could develop and adhere to a formula that becomes a habit. And that becomes a tradition. And after a while, this repetitive process can lose all meaning. If you find yourself racing through names just to get to the end of the list, or it feels like a tick and flick exercise, I don't think that's what Paul is trying to teach us. God is not a prayer machine of inputs and outputs. It's not what you and I should expect from prayer or from God. He's a living being. He's our creator. He is the master of all beings. So I think it's a good reminder to be constant in prayer, to enjoy prayer, and to know who it is that we are praying to. This is our second point today, and it is to pray like Paul. That means to have our heart invested in and seeking the best of God's will for others for the church and in our lives. There's of course this danger that our prayers can become out of touch with reality if we forget who we're praying for, why we're praying for them and who we're praying to. I think Paul knew this because he frames for the Colossians who are reading this letter exactly who they are in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus. And he reminds them of what Jesus has done for them. A quick note before looking at that, I did a word search in my Bible on prayer. I put in the word pray. And if you ever don't know what to pray for or how to pray, uh, I guarantee you'll get heaps of verses on prayer. There are so many that you can't actually recount them out the front here uh, or it'll take all day. But I'm going to actually look up verse 12 now and we're going to go halfway through the verse. So if you're reading with me, Paul begins a new sentence in this verse and he says this. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is the reason for our salvation. This is the reason for our joy. And this is what gives us cause to thank God. The fact that we share in an inheritance and it belongs to his people is actually amazing. But in order for this inheritance to have our name against it, it means we need to be his people first. 
Well, who are his people? Paul says it is those who live in the light. I'm going to pause here for a second and explain. Paul gave us the prize here before telling us how to get it. Here the prize is this gift, this wonderful place in all of eternity with God and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. It's a home with our maker and our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a place in the new heavens and the new earth as described in Revelation. And it's all things good that God has promised that we hope for. Paul goes on to say, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. This reminds us where we have come from. The kingdom of darkness and where we've been brought to. The kingdom of his son, this kingdom of light. I often say there are two types of people in this world. There are those who love Jesus and belong to his kingdom and there are those who do not and they belong to the other kingdom. This positions us to see exactly where we stand because if we do not stand in the kingdom of Christ then we remain outside of it and without him. People know in their hearts if they've accepted the Lord as their saviour or if they have not. There's no in-between, there's no middle ground. There are those who are still deciding if they believe and they want to join us in following Jesus but up until that point where the mind and the heart cross over into belief and faith they still reside in darkness. The beauty of Paul working backwards here is he is speaking to Christians, to people who live in the light and who know that they have placed their hope in. They know who he is. And our hope is the one in who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. It is in Jesus. What is our response? Well, this is point three. To be joyous and thankful as someone who lives in the light and has an inheritance from God. It is fitting here, if you do not know Jesus, what a wonderful opportunity you now have to leave this kingdom of darkness behind and to step into the light. It's Jesus who purchased our freedom. He purchased it with his life on the cross and he is able to forgive your sins. I actually saw a movie this week where the main character, he'd committed a crime and he thought that not only he couldn't be forgiven, but he knew that he shouldn't be forgiven. The beauty was the person that he hurt the most didn't just forgive him, and it took a long time, but they came to love him. And I know a lot of people think that they have sinned so bad or so long that God can't or won't forgive them, but you need to know that he can and that he will forgive you if you truly seek him and repent. It reminded me of how wonderful it is to know that God already loves each one of us and has called us to accept his forgiveness. Even though we don't deserve it, he offers it to us as a free gift of grace. And it comes at the most costly price. That was the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. It's not actually specified here in these verses. But if you read any of the Gospels, you'll see. Jesus did rise again after defeating death. As you read through Colossians 1, 15 to 23, later this week, you will see the perfect picture of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. This was our side note from earlier, to read through Colossians 1, 15 to 23, and to use it in your prayer life this week. I hope today you guys have been encouraged by Paul's words. If nothing else sticks or remains, know that as a church you are loved, you're appreciated, and you're prayed over by your leadership. As we act on Paul's words this week, know that your fellow brothers and sisters are praying for you. These promises and prayers are laid down in Scripture by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and these are God's holy scriptures. They're written to you as a church, 
who is already a part of the kingdom of Christ the Son. As we wrap up before communion, please let me encourage you to find your work for the Lord like Epaphras did and that God's calling will be upon you and that you will know what that is. Let the prayer life that Paul modelled for us be entwined with your own prayer life, enhancing and encouraging you as you pray for each other regularly. And finally, may you have an attitude and exhibit true joy and thankfulness as someone who lives in the light, who identifies as one people, and that is the people of God. You are in the kingdom of Christ already, and one day it will be made perfect and complete in reality. You'll have a sure and steadfast inheritance from God.